30L, come on. How big was it when you caught it? Every time he tells the story, it grows a little bigger. It was, 30, it was 38 inches? Because this is like probably 28 or so in there, isn't it? Wow. How big did it weigh? Yeah, it does probably stretch. You didn't have... Oh, unbelievable. Yeah, that's awesome. So how many know that that 38-inch fish wouldn't have been big enough to swallow Jonah? Huh? So actually, I, I don't think... I've never caught anything. Uh, I don't think I caught one 38 inches. We used to do deep sea fishing in Florida. But um, I can't say that I ever got anything that close. So, well, there's a, there's a message. When I, when I mention Jonah, isn't that the first thing that comes to your, to your mind is the big fish and swallowing the, the guy and all that stuff? Um, you don't have to show your hands, but I, want, I do want you to think about it. I want you to kind of interact with me just for a second. But um, think about, do you believe that that actually happened? That this big fish actually swallowed this guy and then puked him up on, on the shore later on. So you can just hold that and think about it. And some of you might say, you know, come on, scientifically it's been proven that there's no way that uh, that could have happened. And uh, that'd be good. And you can give me evidence of that later. But um, we're going to kind of talk about some of that stuff. But the biggest thing is if we want to interact and say, what, what is that in there for? And then later on, Jesus used those same words. So the title for the message, if you look at, uh, pull out your bulletins for me there, open up to there's a little sermons page or today's message. The, the title for the day is All Hands on Deck. And we've been talking about a rescue mission. So the life preserver represents living in the Holy Spirit, having the life preserver on, because what he'll do is, is he'll, he'll um, empower us so that when we go to rescue someone else, that we're... How many know you've got to have some, some good firm foot, footing to be able to, to rescue someone else? If you're going to pull them up out of the dregs or out of the issues of life. And, and then we throw them the life ring. And the life ring is, is uh, Jesus Christ himself, the Savior. And we have attached to that, we have this lifeline. Because it wouldn't do them a whole lot of good just to throw them a life preserver. But it's connected to the, the other end of that is this lifeline that we're, gonna, we're working with them. See? We're not abandoning them, just saying, okay, you got Jesus, um, sink or swim kind of thing. See, or just bob out there um, while you become shark bait, right? So instead of just kind of dancing along and sitting there doing nothing, here we go. And I'm offering you this morning what God has offered to us, and that is, is that we want to we draw you in. We need all hands on deck to accomplish the mission which God has given to the church, and that's the church isn't this church, meaning this structure. The church means people. You know, it's a, you know, the old steeple thing. You know what I mean? That, that it's full of people. It's all about people. And, and that's what the mission is about. And that's what our mandate is. Go ahead and read with me Matthew 4. It's verses 18 to 22. This is the actual calling of the disciples, if you remember. Ready? Verse 18. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, 
in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Wow. You know, just a quick comment. You don't know how significant that is that they left their father and followed him because this whole culture, they call it tribal. And so a tribal means is that we don't, we don't abandon our families. We don't leave our families. We, we stick with them through thick and thin. Arlene comes from the Amish. She was Mennonite, raised Mennonite mostly. But, you know, one of those things is you don't consider, you, you would never place your child for adoption. You, don't, you wouldn't abandon your kid. If there's something that happened, you know, then, then we would raise that kid. This whole village would raise them, you know, the whole people. So the idea is they very much take care of themselves. They don't believe in a lot of the things, or we call them trappings of this life. Um, they take care of their own. And they rise up, and when there's a need, if, if one family can't handle a medical bill or something, then they come together as a clan or as a tribe, and they, they put in together. And uh, sometimes I think that they've got that right, what, what church was supposed to be like. So leaving their father is something, because sometimes, guess what we do? Is we can be so family-oriented that there's things that God calls us to do that might even mean preferring that over family. Ouch. But that's the truth. It's proven over and over in the Word of God. Let's look and read on with 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. Ready? You preach, you speak louder than me. Verse 7. Everything in the world... <laughs> oh, yes, that's what it is. Oh, yes, because that's what it, what does it mean? On course, the end of time is that when you do something and you do it with the right heart, see that cheerfully that was thrown in there in verse nine, be quick to give a meal to the hungry, a bed to the homeless, cheerfully, not begrudgingly, like, you know, I wish these guys would get a life. See, I w- wish they would finally get it. How many times will you forgive a failure? See, we think about that forgiveness as a matter of something, oh, well, we know it says 70 times 7. But, but we think about it in, in certain ways that we kind of tunnel vision. Instead of the idea, what about failure? What about when somebody messes up? What if somebody, when, when they just blow it, what if they're just idiots and morons? Come on, let's be real. Those are, we don't like those terms. We don't like hearing them from the pulpit. But isn't that what sometimes how we feel about people? Idiots and morons? Huh? I find them on the road all the time. Not on the road, you know what I mean. They're driving their cars, or so to speak. Oh yeah, that's that's not a pleasant term. God wouldn't call them that. But 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 let's be real about what goes on in our lives, right? And we become begrudging about those things where we have the opportunity to reveal Jesus. See? 
And, and it says in verse 11, look at that again. If words, let it be God's words. If help, let it be God's hearty help. That way God's bright presence will be evident in everything, in everything through Jesus. And he'll get all the credit as the one mighty in everything. Praise, worship, encores to the end of time. Oh, yes. That's an exclamation point. That's who I'm living my life for. I'm living my life for him. So when I have the opportunity to do good, I'll do good to anybody and everybody. See? So the bottom question on your your bulletin there says what? What are you doing to change the world? Not just your world. Come on. You can take care of that. You can, you can do the things essential for maybe yourself, but really living is to live beyond your own boundaries, to live beyond what you're capable of because you're going to need the Spirit of God. You're going to need His power. You're going to need His anointing. You're going to need His light. You're going to need His direction in your life to be able to do that. You're going to have to have ears to hear because He'll tell you to do something. And if you've just learned to tune Him out, blah, 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 then guess what? I hear my sound self's kind of strange, but I can't hear too much else. Actually, I hear myself kind of internal. I don't hear myself outside. Am I speaking? Am I loud? Can anybody hear me out there? See what I mean? And so we become kind of internal with what we hear. But if you'll do that, you begin to realize that, that let that voice in, the voice which is God. And he'll begin to tell you things which might seem extreme. But he'll do it. So this story is about Nineveh. This passage that I want us to read, it's, this whole Nineveh has been established by Nimrod. He was known as a mighty hunter. And, and Nimrod was, uh, it goes back and traces history all the way to 2400 B.C. Now, I call that before Christ. It means something different to other people, but that's what I refer to it as. Um, and so what happens is 2400 B.C., and this narrative is about a king who, who existed and lived in, in this certain point around 700 B.C. And this tale is God's way of trying to reach a people to... Uh, he really wanted them to change their hearts and change their minds about how they're living. Could be a story about modern-day America in many cases. This is actually one of the things about Jonah you need to know is it's historical. The characters are historical. You know, they're literally, in, in history, is the, these kings that are listed. There's this nation, that uh, Nineveh, that existed. You know it doesn't exist any longer? Nineveh has never been rebuilt. It was destroyed, ultimately, in 612 B.C. So some, somewhere around some 50 to, to 60 years after Jonah had gone, when we read this narrative, eventually... The people reverted to their old selves, and Nineveh was ultimately destroyed. How many of you know where Nineveh was, by the way? Modern-day Iraq. It's pretty amazing. If I was in Iraq, I was thinking about it, I would probably want to rebuild it just to say booyah. See, I'd want to rebuild Nineveh. But the, the thing is, is that it was, a, it was under a curse, and it remains under a curse. So it's never been, been rebuilt. So... How you know it's historical is because Jesus quoted it in Matthew chapter 12. If you're taking notes, it's verse 39 to 41. I'm going to read it for you before I get to the passage out of Jonah. 
One day, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. But Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. Kind of interesting because sometimes that's what you get of religious people is we're looking for for God to prove himself once again, show a miraculous sign to prove your authority. Instead of the idea that by faith we accept he is the authority and we accept the idea that he's determined from beginning, middle, and end who was and is and is to come, as we sang this morning, that he's the one who's laid it all out. See, we don't have to try to twist his arm or convince him or somehow, you know, through through sacrifice. He says, I don't want your sacrifice. He says, I want your heart. It's actually by the geography of of, uh, Nineveh is by Mosul, I think is how they pronounce it in Iraq. The population back in 750 B.C. was somewhere between 120,000 and 500,000 people. You know, the problem is they didn't have anybody taking polls and counts back then, right? So what we've got is the best guess is somewhere between 120,000 to 500,000 people. In, in the word as we read it here, you're going to find out that it says that it, ta- it took three days to cross Nineveh. Three days to walk from, from end to end in, in Nineveh. So has anybody ever walked Pittsburgh from one end to the other? Just kind of curious. Uh, if Tommy was here, Tommy's, Tommy walks a lot. He's been on the trails, um, Appalachian Trail and things like that. How many of you have walked where you could say it took you three days to walk a territory? Anybody? You walk that significant? Yeah, me either. Ready? Let's go to Jonah, chapter 1. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. This is your word. It's not man's word. It's not a compilation of myths and stories and tales. It's your word, and you've given to us for such a time as this. And so, God, I pray that, you know, how practical your word is and how true it is Uh, rings in our own hearts and challenges us this morning into those places where what you have for us today in 2014. So I pray for an anointing on our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and on our lives that we might obey. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. 
Let me just pause there. Sometimes, you know, we don't give, we, we don't give God a chance to do anything before we're already jettisoned the cargo. See what I mean? It's like their gods aren't so trustworthy that the next thing they do is they throw the cargo overboard. Try to rescue themselves. That's the way the world works. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rode even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded. Don't make us die for this man's sin. And don't hold us responsible for his death, O Lord. You have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Folks, I hope you get that. If you get some storms in your life, God has a purpose for them, and they're righteous and they're holy, and you can trust him, even as he brought the storm, that he's going to deliver you through the storm. Amen? You've got to remember that. That's the, that's the grip of faith that we have to have in the midst of it for his own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Do you understand this is a, a godless nation? They're, they're, they've got their own little gods that they're disappointed in, that they're not sure that they've never done anything, never proved themselves. And that's why they said, pray to your God. See? Pray to your God, it says. It says, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish, He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple, toward your dwelling place. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. 
As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Wow. Now there's an answer to prayer. How many of you have ever been that desperate in your lives where you felt like you were sinking, you were going to die, you were going to perish, and in that moment you cried out to the Lord? Guess what? You're still here today. I'm guessing you heard your prayer. That's the way he does. Here it is, the rest of the story. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. See, when you've missed God one time around, doesn't mean that God's going to write you off and say, I'm done with you. Not at all. Instead, if you're his man, if you're his woman, if you're the one, he's going to say, okay, we learned, to, we, we learned something now, didn't we? Now, here's what I have for you. This time, it says, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Can you say yet? Because the truth is from 750 to 612, they didn't learn from their, their mistakes. They went back to their old ways. But that's not the tale right here. So here's what happens. You're either being obedient Growing in your faith, bearing fruit, at peace and full of joy, or you're being rebellious, stuck on ignorance and shadow while you live a consuming life, never satisfied and always craving. You know how you can tell when you're craving? You go shopping and you don't really have a purpose for it. You're just out looking. Somebody comes to you and says, can I help you? No, I'm just looking. What are you looking for? Um... I don't really, I'm just looking. If I find something, I'll probably buy it. What did we say in our class, marriage oneness the other day? What, what's the one, one thing you would tell somebody? Remember? If you could rescue them, save them. Brad and Candy, remember it? Said not to have credit cards. Because what was one big mistake is called impulse buying. How many of you are impulse buyers? You know, that, that little part of the aisle where you get right there? And I always grab a thing of gum 
when I don't care. If Arlene says, honey, you got six of those. <laughs> but I could always use one more because I chew gum. So guess what? So I have that, and I've got a little case of gum now. And every time I go there, it doesn't matter if I got it or not, I just buy it. Impulse buying, magazines and stuff they sell, going shopping. If, if you're looking for it, let me tell you, your flesh will demand it of you. Eventually, you'll end up buying it, and you'll just have more stuff. And someday, you'll come to a point of repentance, and you'll say, Lord, look at all this stuff. How ridiculous. Okay, maybe you won't, but I have. I want to show you this video before I move forward. There's a little video about, this is a true story. You'll, you'll see it here. Part of this is about Compassion International, and I want to leave us today with, with this idea of what we could do and how we can make a difference in the world if we'll just be obedient to God and if we'll live a selfless life. So this young, young woman, her name is Caitlin Voida, and um, she was a vivacious 16-year-old girl when she was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer in 2009. The final year and a half of her life was spent fighting against cancer's effects. In 2010, the Children's Wish Foundation gave her the opportunity to do something special with her family. Caitlin loved to snowboard and considered a boarding trip to New Zealand, but ultimately decided to use her wish to help others. So let's watch this. If you could have any wish come true, what would you wish for? Let me tell you about a girl named Caitlin and her wish. This is Caitlin. When she was 16, she loved her family, her boyfriend, Jesus, and snowboarding, but not necessarily in that order, of course. But right after she celebrated her 16th birthday, her entire family's world was turned upside down. She was diagnosed with a glioblastoma multiform tumor, terminal brain cancer. Caitlin would literally have to spend the rest of what little life she had left in and out of hospitals, enduring surgeries and chemotherapy treatments. When I first got diagnosed, um, why me was first thing that went into my head and second was um, graduating. But I'm officially graduated now, so that's exciting. Because she was a child fighting a terminal disease, an organization called Children's Wish wanted to grant her a wish. This wish was a chance for her to escape her own struggle, even if it was for a short while. And she thought about taking a trip with her family to go snowboarding in New Zealand. But Caitlin was no ordinary young person, and her wish was bigger than her own suffering. We're only on Earth for so long, and we need to make an effort for other people when we're here. Caitlin and her family had been sponsoring a child with Compassion International, which made her think about the challenges other children all over the world face every day. And she thought about what they might wish for. Enough room for me and my sister. To be able to visit the doctor when we're sick. To know that someone loves me. So Caitlin changed her mind and did something extraordinary. She gave her wish away. Caitlin learned how other children get sick and even die simply because they don't have clean water to drink. She couldn't use her wish to prevent cancer, but she could use it to prevent that. So instead of using her wish for her own family, she gave her wish to bring fresh water to an entire village in Uganda through Compassion International. 
Then something else extraordinary happened. When people heard about Caitlin's wish, they began to act too. $200,000 later, Caitlin had enough money to build 21 wells and help more than 40,000 children in Uganda. I want to not be sick, and I do not want to be going through all this. If I wasn't sick, I wouldn't have gotten this wish, and so many kids wouldn't have benefited from what I've done. This incredible, selfless act ended up being one of the last wishes Caitlin got to make on this earth. Caitlin may be gone now, but her wish remains. There are countless children waiting for someone to act. For these children, the world is a desperate place, and they need someone like Caitlin who is desperate to change it. And you can change it. You can help provide the extra food, medical care, education, and introduction to Jesus they need. All of this happens through the local church when you sponsor a child with compassion. My boyfriend always says, um, it's like we take a picture and when we're on earth. And at the end of the day, what do you want that picture to look like? be able to change the whole world, but you can change the whole world for one child. And together, we can start changing the whole world one child at a time. Will you join us? She says, even though I don't want, I, I don't want to be sick, if I wasn't, I wouldn't have received this wish, and others wouldn't have had wanted to help, and all these children wouldn't have benefited. We are only on earth for so long, and we need to make an effort for other people. Forty thousand lives. Jonah's preaching, though it was temporary, it made the difference for 120 to 500,000 people. When they all heard that truth, and they responded to the message. Our lives are so much bigger than ourselves and probably how we've been living. She said toward the end of her life, don't take a day for granted. Can't we say that we do that on a regular basis? That's not a guilt trip. That's just a reality. We just kind of get lost in the whole rush of life. What about new life? We got discipleship. You, you have, in the end, we can offer it, but you have to be the student. You have to be the one who signs up for it. We call it class 101 through 401. We have Financial Peace University, help you get out of credit card debt. We've got a few of you in the room who have gone through that and have been uh, delivered from credit cards and from that constant craving and from that debt load that hangs over you. That'll be coming up in, in uh, September. For evangelism, you all have the opportunity. You must share your faith. Missions. See, we will impact the world. That's what the flags are here for. That's what that that map. I thought, boy, that's been here for probably 14 years I've been here. We put that up not long after I got here. Somewhere in 2000, we put that big thing up. And I thought, well, maybe time for a change. Take those flags off the wall. Change that map. Hmm. Didn't feel like that's the heart of God at all. Because... The heart of God is for the whole world. And the church needs to be reminded how big that is. So we have an opportunity. We're going to be joining with 
uh, an affiliated ministry, it's called, and we're going to adopt a city. But I can't do that. I can say we're going to do it, but folks, I need you to help me to do that. And that is we want to adopt a city. We want to adopt a city. We're not sure if it'll be Haiti or if it's going to be Guatemala, if it's going to be some other war-torn area. But what, what that means is we're going to join potentially with another church and we're going to look to provide a, a transforming um, resources to the community. And part of that, it, it means a commitment of about $15,000 that we're going to commit to a community somewhere in the impoverished, torn world could be Jamaica. And we're going to take that and we're going to seek to turn lives around. Oh, a lot of attention on Israel. But there's some places around the world where they don't get any press. They don't get any coverage. So I don't get to pick that. It'll, it'll be something that they said, here's the need. There's, there's not a church in this community. They don't have any toilet facilities in this community. They don't have running water in this community. They don't have any kind of sanitation period in that community. And so by the time we're done with a, a commitment every year, a commitment toward this, it's literally building a community where every home would have some sort of running water. Every home would have a commode or a toilet. Every home would have, every community would have a way of disposing of their trash and garbage. But come on, we take all that for granted because I wheel my little trash out to the curb every Tuesday morning. They come and they dump it and I don't give any thought to it. But I've been to those countries. I've been to Nepal, was at one time the, the, the poorest of third world countries. I've been to Mexico. I've seen that. I, I see it. Uh, my eyes aren't, aren't closed to what is happening around us. I know we have poverty situations in the United States. If we could identify that, then we could go after it. Who knows? It could be a community around, around the U.S. that we adopt. But what I'm doing is I'm throwing out a little, a, a, a little nugget for us, something for you to chew on. I want you to, to embrace that. I want the church to live larger than than where we are today. I want to invest in students. I, I proposed earlier this year that I want to have a New Life scholarship. I want that to be a $1,500 scholarship that goes to, to a, 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 a girl and to a guy. A $1,500 scholarship. I met somebody this uh, back at the Fireman's Festival, was talking to a young man, graduated back in June. He's not been able to, to finish school, uh, actually even complete a semester because he doesn't have the finance. And his grades weren't sufficient that he got a whole lot of, of scholarships that a lot of the top 10 students get. And so what I want to do is I'd like to have a, a tangible way that New Life Fellowship gives back into the community of Shadyside to the students in the school, and that's a $1,500 scholarship. That's pretty significant because I know they have $500, and I know they have $1,000. Maybe that's why I'm doing fifteen. And so I want us to put into money. I've already actually, I had uh, someone who gave me $100 for that scholarship fund. I want to tell you, we're going to take, and Arlene and I, I talked about it. I said, honey, I want, to write, I want you to write a $200 check to the church. That makes $300 out of that $3,000. That's called seed money. We got 10%. All you have to do is on your offering envelope, you mark it on there, and you put scholarship fund. And then I have to talk to the superintendent. We have to draw up how... How, what's this scholarship fund going to look like? I think we have one from the Chamber of Commerce, right, Ellen? So what I want to do is, is I want to be, uh, be the church that says that we put our, our, our money where our mouth is. 
that were going to make an impact in young people's lives. This young guy, I might have been able to decide that, you know, he deserved or he didn't deserve it, but I know this, is he doesn't have the opportunity at education without some sort of help, and I'd love to be able to, to have done that. So folks, living larger than ourselves, being obedient, if God says you're supposed to do something with that, then do it. Family, we've got a weekend to remember coming up for marriages. We have a home group going on right now, Brad and Candy's, uh, I'm mentoring them in, called Oneness, Marriage Oneness. Regen, making a difference. Once again, we're not letting it die, though we could say, boy, it's regen, the nature of regen is continually renewing. The mission and vision for this church is called the Great Commandment, to love God, love one another. The Great Commission to go, share, teach. And that will result in the Great Condition. A healthy church built up, blessed and being a blessing. We call it lead, share, grow, serve, and build. That's the way it works. That's right out of Ephesians 4. Remember the video we showed a couple of weeks ago? It's called The Golden Hour. It was a follow-up to The Ring is the Thing. And this says, we all must pull on this rope so that his house will be full. He wants his kingdom. He wants every seat occupied. He wants people to be delivered from that which is bondage and darkness and desperation. He wants them to come into salvation. And folks, he's given you and me that. I think sometimes all hands on deck means that we need everybody's got to be called. There's, there's that siren that blasts when, when there's a threat. And everybody, all of a sudden, they're called to come to, what's it called? Remember that? All hands on deck. There's a word for it. What is it? I'm sorry? I can't hear it. General quarters. General quarters, which simply means when that happens, it's not a drill. If it's a drill, you'll be told that later on. You need to act like it's a life or death situation. Do you know when we hear the blast from heaven, the trumpet from heaven, it's going to be too late. We better hear what God is is giving us now when he's blowing the horn. He's he's making it clear that there's a rescue that needs to happen. You know the reason many people in church don't get involved? What would it be? Because you don't feel worthy? You don't feel like you're capable? You don't feel like you have anything to offer? Because you weren't asked? How about, might be because you think it's all about attendance. Because there's a lot of churches that that's what it's about, is just attending church. And, and attending church doesn't do it. It won't accomplish what God has for us. There's so much more than just sitting here, coming and listening to somebody speaking. Two ladies I spoke to this week, they told me, they said, the reason they didn't go to church, because they really aren't into listening to somebody preach at them or lecture them. And I thought that's interesting in light of the sermon, because that's hopefully not what we only do here on a Sunday morning. I hope that's not any church you'll ever go to, that that's their mission, is to preach a good message for you, to play some, some songs that help make you feel good. I hope they have a mission and a mandate. I hope that we're going towards something about seeing the people who need saved and and rescuing them. So folks, whatever the reason is, I don't even know how to manage what I'm talking about. 
get it all done. But I know this. I know that that's what the message is. That's what the mandate is, is for each and every one of you to be obedient to God, to use your gifts and talents so that we can see people's lives changed. Amen? Going to church isn't about heaven because you don't have to go to church to get heaven. You, you, you get heaven, you can do that on a construction site. You can do that in a, a bar. You can do that wherever. You can, you can invite Jesus Christ into your heart anywhere. The church is supposed to be mobilized to accomplish the purposes. And for that, we need all hands on deck. I'll introduce more later on, but I wanted to refresh you. We got mission and we got purpose and we got vision. This week, we're going to be down at the, at the Fireman's Festival. At the end here, Arlene's got T-shirts out there for everybody who signed up for serving. Ken was uh, gracious enough to get them made for us, and I think the design is cool. They're bright enough. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, for this whole uh, truth tale that you've given to us from your word about Jonah. And I just think about how he's like so many people today where we might actually look at it. In the end, Jonah says, I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were going to do that. And so God, what he wanted is some revelation of power because he felt like judgment's the only thing that's going to get any, anywhere. And yet you're, you relented. And I thank you for that because we find that same mercy available to us today. And Father, I pray that we're all going to be uh, sharp to, to be obedient. That we're, we'll, be, we'll respond like he responded the second time around. Not the first time. That... All the time he knew, even while he's running, he knew that you're the God who, who is. You're the God that they were missing with their little G's. So, Father, I pray for us that you'll speak to us about what we're to do in the mission that you've given to the church, what we're to do in saving and rescuing, throwing a life ring, throwing, holding on to that lifeline for our neighbors, our friends, people that will... We'll see on a regular basis, God. And Father, I pray that we'll live our life so that, God, we might see 40,000 lives impacted, 120,000 lives impacted, 500,000 lives impacted. And if there's only one impacted, God, I know if that's for your glory. So please help us. Help your church to become what you've called us to. Father, I pray a blessing right now over your church. I pray that, God, you'll give us that urging that you won't stop uh, uh, sending us, launching us, uh, asking us, telling us, revealing to us, God, your purpose. I thank you for each person in here. And, God, you've got just the right stuff in every one of us that we could do something to change a life, to change the world. So I pray that you'll let faith increase. And God, that you'll, you'll stir us in those places where maybe we've grown dormant. And Lord, that you'll begin to let us see fruit from our lives as we're obedient to you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said...